0: Great gowns, beautiful gowns. fashion has changed. No, it hasn't. Hi, I'm Lauren Garoni.
1: And I'm Chelsea Fairless.
0: And Chel, are you pitching your voice down because (laughs) Jane Lynch told us women?
1: (laughs) I know, that dumb bitch.
0: What is she thinking? Did anyone else see this bizarre Jane Lynch tweet that seemed apropos to nothing, where she was like, look, we all know that women have higher voices than men. So if you have a podcast, just speak in a lower register because your voices can be annoying. (laughs) Well,
1: good thing I already sound like a drag queen. So (laughs) I feel like Jane Lynch could listen to our podcast. Like you're not as low as me, but you're also not like... Hi. Hi, guys. We're not doing that. No. But if we did, nothing would be wrong with that.
0: Yeah. What's worse, a high register vocal fry or a low register vocal fry?
1: (laughs) A high one. No, that's just sexism. Jane Lynch is getting to me. She's getting to all of us. Uh. Speaking of terrible things, on my drive over here, I was stuck behind one of those like cars with a baby on board sign. And there was no
0: baby on board. There's never a baby on board when those people have those signs.
1: I mean, I assume there was a baby on board. And I get that, like, babies are the most vulnerable members of society and we shouldn't drive, like, maniacs around them. But, like, I'm a 30-something adult woman and I would also like to live.
0: I did see a TikTok, it was a stitch of someone kind of talking about, I guess there's been some conversation on the internet about people without children, policing people with children who police people without children, who are annoyed at them for bringing children everywhere. And the person was like, we're not annoyed that like children are on planes We're annoyed when you bring children to adult spaces and then police our language. Like don't bring a baby to a bar and then turn to me and be offended that I'm cursing.
1: Oh, completely. There's a time and a place
0: for a rug rat,
1: (laughs) you know? And those places are? (laughs) In your car with a baby on board sign. Yeah, exactly. I think maybe I need like one that says like bitter old bitch on board. (laughs) That would be perfect for me. You know what? I could make one for you too, Lauren. I'll suction it to the back of your car.
0: I mean, honestly, new merch idea, I think. Should that
1: be our next uh, Patreon sticker? Some like a <laughs> a uh, bitter old bitch on board sticker. A blacker little, for the car? Yeah, with a little Every Outfit logo for the back of your car. Done. <laughs> Look who's designing that now. Great. That'll be the easiest thing in the world. So, thank God you
0: were behind that car, actually. <laughs> it was a miracle. This feels like that scene in Forrest Gump when he's running and that guy's like, I make shirts and I have no inspiration. And then he's like, Whoa, man, you stepped in shit. And he's like, Eh, it happens. And he's like, What? Shit happens? Oh, I gotta go and make a shirt. Like, did that moment need to have a backstory? Didn't he also invent the smiley face shirt? Or am I just high? I believe those moments are in tandem. Right, okay. A smiley face and shit happens.
1: It's been a minute since I've seen Forrest Gump. It didn't really resonate with me. You know what I mean?
0: Yes, I was just telling your wife about because uh, Tat just saw The Shawshank Redemption for the first time, and I was discussing that insane Oscar year where Shawshank, Pulp Fiction, and Forrest Gump were all nominated for Best Picture, and two other movies I can't remember. But Forrest Gump won Best Picture, and that's—it's not as bad as Crash winning Best Picture. No, but upon reflection, one it should be Pulp Fiction, but certainly Shawshank Redemption should have gotten something
1: for sure. I don't know if Shawshank is actually good or if we're just conditioned to love it because it was on TBS for like 30 years straight. Yeah. Yeah, it holds up. I made her watch it because she loves Prison Break, which I think (laughs) is a ridiculous show. But I feel like if you love Prison Break, you should probably see Shawshank because that's like the original. Did she cry like a baby? Yeah, of course. You can't not cry at the end of Shawshank. Anyway, it's weird indulging in heterosexual male culture like that. Because like Shawshank Redemption is to them what Titanic is to women. I was going to check you
0: on that, but I think you are correct.
1: Yeah. Like it's like a it's an emotional thing. Also, I feel like we don't get that many movies about male friendship. Like it's almost like a male chick flick. Yeah. But with just, you know,
0: if we prison
1: rape and stuff. (laughs)
0: If we allowed men and the media, wow, am I am I a men's right activist right now? But I dare say if we allowed men to have more emotional movies about their own friendships, we wouldn't have Joe Rogan. Yeah, we need more movies like
1: Shawshank, like I love you, man. I thought that was a great movie exploring male relationships.
0: I think the hottest take you've ever had, and it shocked me to this day, is for you, the best-dressed man in film is Jason Siegel in I Love You, Man.
1: Yes, and Al Pacino in Serpico, which I feel like is two sides of the same coin, really. Right? Not even. They're both kind of weird, like, stoner slackers, but I think about Jason Siegel wearing Uggs on the beach on a very regular basis, as we all should.
0: So... So
1: <laughs> we forgot about some yeah. things.
0: It's it's astonishing, given that we've spent five minutes discussing films that came out 20 years ago, <laughs> that during the last podcast, we forgot to mention the fact that And Just Like That got zero Emmy nominations.
1: None. You know what got two nominations? How I Met Your Father. <laughs>
0: Starring, Well, I say starring Kim Cattrall, but Kim Cattrall, who is the voice of How I Met Your Father.
1: Yeah. And to be fair, they weren't acting nominations. They were like technical nominations, whatever, which still counts, still fab. Congrats to those people. But
0: the fact that Molly and Danny were not nominated for costumes. Yeah, that is fucked up. Because you can at least make the argument that perhaps because in Just Like That is kind of in between a drama and a comedy, it sort of got lost. Well, but that's all shows now, Lauren. Like
1: 50% of shows are dramedies now, thanks to Six Feet Under's pioneering efforts. Like (laughs) actually. So it makes it hard to know where to put them because if they're submitting Sarah Jessica Parker for the Emmys, they're picking episode one, right? Where big dies, like you'd have to, but that's a dramatic performance. That's not a comedic performance, but they're not going to want to nominate her against like Zendaya. Yeah. 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 You say Zendaya.
0: I say Zendaya.
1: (laughs) I believe it is
0: Zendaya. This is especially insulting because I went back and there's a Emmys.com page dedicated to her. Sarah Jessica Parker has been nominated ten times, all for Sex and the City, starting in 1999. She was nominated every year that Sex and the City was on television, and she won in 2001 and then in 2004 for Outstanding Lead Actress in a Comedic Series.
1: Well, if she was nominated this year in the comedy category, I don't remember who else was nominated. But surely Jean Smart was nominated. And surely she's just going to win, right? Like this is like a Zendaya Jean Smart situation. Are there any other options?
0: Yeah, she would be up against Rachel Brosnahan in The Marvelous Mrs. Maisels. Well, never <laughs> underestimate that show. <laughs> Quinta Brunson for Abbott Elementary, which was a breakout hit, and I think she has a good chance of winning. Kaylee Cuoco for The Flight Attendant. Another, I think, dramedy.
1: Yeah, but not better than Gene Smart, so never going to happen. Yeah, Elle
0: Fanning the Great, Issa Rae for the last season of Insecure, and Gene Smart for Hacks. It's a stacked category. Yeah. I mean, you could take Rachel Brosnahan out of there and have put Sarah Jessica Parker in.
1: Well, both Rachel Brosnahan and SJP have won for those same characters like 10,000 times. So
0: yeah, uh, no, you're know. I right. just think
1: everyone's just going to vote for Gene Smart because it feels right, you know?
0: And then for lead actress in a drama series, I can't, <laughs> I can't really imagine the dramatic turn of Carrie Bradshaw in the first season of And Just Like That stacking up against uh, Jodie Comer in Killing Eve, Laura Linney in Ozarks, Melanie Lewinsky for Yellow Jackets, Sandra O. Oh- Melanie Linsky. Melanie Lindsay you said that like Monica Lewinsky it's not Monica <laughs> not the same are they person. not the same person Sandra Oh for killing Eve Reese Witherspoon for the morning show okay that's the one that could go see that's that should be in the dramedy category and the morning
1: show is neither a drama nor a comedy
0: and then Zendaya 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 please someone call in and just tell us what they it have is. and they say they are
1: literally begging us to stop calling her Zendaya they're like her name is Zendaya Zendaya's gonna win yeah.
0: I don't know if the Emmy voting body is like the Academy Awards where it's mostly just older white people who are just going to give it to Laura Linney because all of our parents watch Ozark.
1: Well, Laura Linney is fantastic in Ozark. Has she won for it? Because she does kind of deserve to.
0: Yeah. And there's a lot of shows. This is going to be a tough Emmy year because a lot of shows are in their final seasons. So they also like to award people who are, have done this for the final time. Right. Right. Like Sarah Jessica Parker, who won for the final season of Sex in the City.
1: Yeah, and I can see that happening for
0: Issa Rae, too, for sure. You know what? They're too busy prepping the new season, man, just like that. They don't have time to stop everything and go to the Emmys. Well,
1: even though no one from and just like that was nominated, someone else was nominated. Shall we play the call?
2: Oh, yeah. Hi, Chelsea and Lauren. And I wanted to say I was so delighted a couple of months ago when you guys reviewed the Andy Warhol Diaries documentary series on Netflix, because I am the producer of that show. Um, and it wasn't like everywhere that people I listen to and like are li- are talking about the show. So that was really exciting. Um, and so my question, which is a fashion question, is related to this. Uh, the show has been nominated for an Emmy. Hooray! Very exciting. And I believe that I am going to be able to attend as one of the nominees. And I don't know what to wear. Um, I don't want to fall into the sort of documentary producer award show cliche of wearing black dress, but I don't want to look ridiculous either because, you know, I'm a behind the camera person. Any thoughts on award show style in this capacity? I am not very rich. I am not very thin, but I would like to look fabulous. First of all, congrats
1: to this fuckette, an Emmy nominee. The Andy Warhol Diaries was major.
0: As we spoke about it, I can't believe that we have a listener who's nominated for an Emmy. It's like we're nominated for an (laughs) Emmy, kind of.
1: I do have thoughts as someone who has been to award shows in a plus one capacity uh, when I was neither thin nor rich, the same as probably true today, but <laughs> but you're not going to any award shows these days. I, I have so. no invites these days, but okay. It's really hard to find formal clothing that is inexpensive. So, vintage is always an option because you can find clothes that are of a higher quality than you could afford if it was just like straight off the rack. Obviously, buying things from first dibs is ideal, but like that shit is so expensive. So I recommend Etsy because it's very easy to refine by size. I also think that because you're nominated for the Andy Warhol diaries, it would be cool if your look paid homage to his close friend and collaborator Halston.
0: I'm sorry, you're advocating for her to buy a vintage Halston dress or a vintage dress that could be Halston? Vintage Halston is
1: expensive but you can google like Halston plus 1970s see if there's like a silhouette that looks good for you and then look at the current Halston website because they're basically like remaking that shit now you could also look at Norma Kamali which has like very flattering timeless 70s style um, minimal gowns and dresses which are really cool also if you have any rich friends See if they have clothes that you can borrow. I've definitely <laughs> done this before. Another option is to pull a Sharon Stone. You can get like a really crisp, white, like poplin, voluminous shirt and then get like a midi skirt or a maxi skirt that's like... Uh,
0: Honestly, any silhouette would work and that was going to be my suggestion as well. Do
1: that. That's really chic for a producer. Like just get sort of a straight skirt, like a, a satin skirt or a sequin skirt. You could get like like a silver sequin skirt and do like a whole like factory vibe you know maybe some silver in your look would be good and you could wear that with like a strappy sandal
0: if you don't know what we're talking about google sharon stone 1998 oscars outfit another thing
1: look i've never done this and i'm not suggesting that anyone listening do this but netta porter does have a 30-day return policy Not suggesting that you do this, but you could go on Amazon and buy a tagging gun and buy the black plastic tags because you will have to take off the tag and reattach it later. And by the way, you've never done this before. I actually have never done this before, but it's been known to work. And if they catch you, they won't send you to jail. They'll just make you pay for it. So maybe don't get like a $20,000 Gucci gown.
0: I'm surprised in all of this, you haven't suggested a vintage caftan.
1: Well, yeah, for sure. If you want to wear a vintage caftan, just I'll loan you one. Come to my house. Also, I asked Tat for advice on your behalf. And she said that if you need any jewelry, any accessories, she will hook you up. So email us or email is in our instagram bio or slide into my dms and we will hook you up with some fierce
0: accessories for the emmys and potentially a vintage cap yeah jam. if
1: you want to wear one
0: <laughs> honestly it just seems like <laughs> what a like fucking emmy gifting suite just come over to <laughs> chell and Tattoos. <laughs>
1: yes truly captains and in, in every style and size waiting for you but yeah congrats again it's so fucking cool we're very proud of you. And we will be rooting for you.
0: So, Chelsea, are you okay? Because I heard that a, a new conservative host has been added <laughs> to the View roster, and it's not who you wanted. It
1: is very much not who I wanted. So, the new View co host, they haven't formally announced it yet, but. What's leaked is that it's going to be Alyssa Farron Griffin, who who has like the most disgusting career trajectory that a person could have, which is being Mike Pence's press secretary, then being the press secretary for the United States Department of, Aff- of Defense, maybe the darkest of all, and then being Trump's press secretary.
0: Who, from what I understand... Did not denounce him until after the January 6th insurrection. She did resign after the insurrection. And then she... Well, you would have to if you want to become a Fox News correspondent. There are some lines. Mm,
1: She became like a CNN correspondent after that point and then she's been on The View quite regularly because they've been auditioning like various conservative people none of which I am familiar with but she's been on the most so it's not surprising that they've picked her although it's gross and she sucks and I don't say that because she's conservative I say that because she's a hypocrite right
0: because now she's become like a holier than thou Trump denier
1: it's not even that I just don't like her personality a hypocrite I could deal with, you know? <laughs> I just want someone that's fun.
0: You're like, look, I lived through the Elizabeth Hasselback days. A hypocrite I can handle. <laughs> yeah. I think I also ruined your day because I revealed to you that in a Variety article, uh, Anna Navarro, who is your favorite, who you previously thought just didn't want this role. had I li- thought
1: she just didn't want to move from Miami because that's where she lives. She flies up once a week to do The View.
0: Right. That Anna Navarro had been lobbying heavy for the job and was quite disappointed when she did not get it. And she should be. It's a travesty.
1: Anna is fucking amazing. She's conservative. I don't agree with her about everything, but I agree with her on most things. And also she's hilarious, which obviously Alyssa isn't.
0: It feels like where the view has always gone wrong is thinking that they need a younger person in the collection of women. Mm. See,
1: I think there does need to be a younger person like Megan McCain fulfilled that role quite well. Right. With this panel. But I think that one thing that's always true of The View is that the producers are always torturing the hosts. This has always <laughs> been true. Even now, like when you think about like Joy probably doesn't feel secure because they've fired her before you know, and then they asked her to come back. Whoopi probably doesn't feel secure because, oh, because right. she was just banned for two weeks after saying something fucked up, but still. Obviously, Anna isn't feeling very secure right now. And uh, Sunny always kind of looks dead inside. And Sarah, like, is the least famous. So she's probably anxious about being fired too. It well, just sucks that it's always like that.
0: Well, how are you feeling as a View watcher? Do they take summers off? Is it like school where it's just done for the summertime or is it only yeah, a couple they take, weeks? Yeah, they
1: take a summer break. Okay. Yeah.
0: yeah. So she's going to come back with the new season.
1: Yeah, exactly. I've already talked about my love of the podcast Deja the View before, but they make a very sound point about Alyssa, which is that she is the poor man's Abby Huntsman And that's a fact.
0: And no, we're not fucking with Tommy Lauren? Did her time pass? Did she fumble the bag? I think she did. She did have a sort of Milo Yiannopoulos, completely avoidable fall from conservative grace, it feels. Yeah, what's up with him? I used to be very invested in his drama. It's so funny, you should ask, because in June, it came out that he seemingly was an intern for Marjorie Taylor Greene. (laughs) Why is he always so funny?
1: but so evil he's kind of like trump in that sense
0: and what's equally insane is this is the statement provided to the washington post from marjorie taylor green so i have an intern that was raped by a priest as a young teen was gay because milo's not gay anymore he, wait what yeah he went to conversion no therapy. he's yeah.
1: an ex-gay are yes. you
0: kidding Uh, I will continue. Has offended everyone at some point, turned his life back to Jesus and church, and changed his life. Great story. See, the only cool thing about him was that he was this gay man
1: that was somehow able to make these like straight maga douchebags worship him in this way that was really gay. Like even the fact that he called Trump Daddy. Yeah. Anyway, he sucks. Especially now that he's straight. So
0: yeah. Ew. Now he's just a straight man. <laughs> man now we really now don't, don't like, an like him. Now he's
2: gay Ew.
0: Barf. So I predict next we'll find out that he's having an affair with Marjorie Taylor Greene and she's pregnant with his child or something. That's on my 2023 bingo card. Just going to put that out there.
1: Oh, in completely unrelated news, I have a bit of an update from last week's episode. So we were talking about Glennon Doyle, and I mentioned that there should be an HBO Max limited series based on her life. And it turns out one is already in development. Thank you to all the fuckettes that informed me about this.
0: And thanks J.J. Abrams and his production company, Bad Robot, who's bringing this uh, to our television screens. You
1: must love that because it's nerd shit, you know?
0: I guess, yeah. How do you feel about nerd shit getting into your shit? I'm into it.
1: Um, I'm also very into the fact that Sarah Paulson is
0: playing Glennon, which is truly the best thing ever. So, I have questions. This adaptation is of her book Untamed, which came out in 2020. It's a memoir. I saw in a story, this is her third memoir? Yeah. That's a lot of memoirs for one life. But she's had a
1: very eventful life. So the first one was about her recovery from eating disorders and alcoholism addiction. The second one was about how, because she only recovered because she got pregnant and then she got pregnant at a very young age, married this random guy that just hit her up, knocked her (laughs) up. (laughs) (laughs) married this random guy i always do this shit on the podcast but i feel like you guys know what i'm talking about i may say the wrong expression right
0: but you know you know what i meant well hit and knock are synonymous words yeah not not in that amber her donate and pledge are the same word kind of way yeah okay so what is this memoir about what is untamed about yeah
1: untamed is about her realization that her desires and her life has been shaped by what society thinks a woman should do, basically. So she hasn't even written her gay memoir yet. No, no, no. This was her gay memoir. But part of that was discovering that she was in love with a woman and not just any woman, the soccer star Abby Wambach.
0: Wait, that's her coming out turning point? Yeah. Oh, this this limited series is going to be lit. She okay. Was, it is. She was married to her husband when she met Abby. <laughs> which begs the question, who's going to play her? Who's going to play Abby? Yeah. Okay. It's really hard. I have a... Okay, what's your... <laughs> what I you mean, think? maybe it's going to be yours. It feels like the only person in the correct age range is Kate McKinnon, but with an undercut. <laughs> I see what you're doing there, but... <laughs> Is it homophobic? It seems... Maybe.
1: I was thinking Charlize could just take steroids. Ooh. Charlize can bulk up. Yeah, but like to be like an athlete and a butch woman, that's like a hard thing. I, I often think that when... Yeah, but
0: but we can do hard things. <laughs>
1: Charlize can take steroids for over a year in preparation for her role of Abby Wambach. Also, I was thinking they just like sit on this for like 15 years okay, and then they're, get, they're not, but get okay. JoJo Siwa to play Abby because now that she has that cut, yeah. she's like perfect. I initially was thinking Jodie Foster, but the age yeah. doesn't work. The age doesn't work. See, all the people that, could play her are kind of too old now like cherry jones incidentally sarah paulson's ex would also be perfect in that role but if it was like 20 years ago
0: wow well we'll just have to wait and see (laughs) should i bet you money that it's gonna be kate mckinnon well
1: i don't think it is because i listened to glennon's podcast with sarah paulson discussing this project which was very entertaining and uh They basically said, like, there's kind of no one, so we need to find an unknown. All right. Which I agree with. But at the same time, when you do that, they usually can't act, which we've seen from many lesbian (laughs) movies where they just cast queer people recently. Not naming names, but facts are facts. Wow. Who's homophobic now? I'm just saying, we'll see. But I have very high hopes for this, especially because Sarah said that she's going to do the full transformation. Like, what does Marsha Clark, Linda Tripp style?
0: What does Sarah Paulson have to do to become Glennon?
1: Well, Glennon's just a very different person than her. She's much more basic, and I say that in a loving way. Like you would think that they would cast like Kristen Bell or Reese right. Witherspoon in a role like this, but okay. So it's going to be jarring in that way. So she's Sarah Paulson's going to have to de-cool herself. Yeah, she's going to have to have a much higher voice, things like that. Things that Jane Lynch, Lynch. would hate. <laughs> Jane Lynch is not playing Abby, that much I know.
0: <laughs> uh, is this your House of Gucci? Like, is this the series that you've, you're you like, there's no way this is going to be terrible, and then it might be terrible, and then your heart is just broken?
1: I don't think it's going to... There's no way I'm not going to like it. It doesn't matter how bad it is. Or good. It's going to be perfect. We also forgot that Ivana Trump died. <laughs> R.I.P. to this legend.
0: It's amazing that we didn't discuss this given our recent fascination with the staircase because she had quite the staircase death but was she murdered by owls or a repressed bisexual so eric trump
1: (laughs) so either she had a heart attack on the top of the stairs and fell down or she fell down and then had a heart attack
0: i love that these stairs were known by her friends and family to be very harrowing and dangerous
1: yeah but they look fabulous if you're going to die falling down a staircase let it be this staircase
0: yeah not the staircase in the staircase no that
1: staircase sucks this staircase is carpeted this staircase has what i believe is a hand-painted mural of something that looks like 16th century france like it looks like versailles or some shit there's like little cherub statues and stuff
0: wow are you gunning to buy her place
1: I would love to buy Ivana Trump's five-story townhouse in Manhattan. Thank you very much.
0: Well, RIP a legend who gave us the line, don't get mad, get everything.
1: Ciao, Ivanka. Ivana. Oh, (laughs) sorry. You will live on in your daughter, Ivanka. (laughs) Who looks eerily like you, but is definitely not as cool.
0: Well, if we ever miss Ivana, we can go back and watch her cameo in the first Wives Club. Yes. So we saw Nope. We did. Like the good little cinephiles we are. We We didn't talk about it, though. No. Well, this is one of the perils of having a podcast is we just went, okay, see you in two days and we'll talk about it. Because you can never
1: have the same conversation twice. And also, we were preoccupied making fun of Tat, who (laughs) slept through the entire movie. And not just like sleeping in her chair like a normal person, like pulled up the armrest, curled up like she was sleeping on a transcontinental flight or some shit.
0: I did look over at one point in the film and you were just sort of over her like you were a bodyguard, you know, protecting the queen and someone was like shooting at her. Like your body was just over hers at one point. Oh, I was just, you know, relaxing. I was just chilling. So first, can we talk about the theater going experience? because we went to the Arclight in Sherman Oaks or the former Arclight in Sherman Oaks that is now a Regal theater I've never been to a Regal in my life it was so depressing well I think because for Angelinos no one knows that this theater is open again right which was great for us who couldn't get tickets at our first choice the Century City AMC yeah yeah which has a beautiful Westfield Mall attached to it and an Italy and a Gelson's? It wasn't meant to be. Guys, Regal has its own version of the AMC Nicole Kidman commercial.
1: Except it's not funny and it sucks. And it's just like people in a movie theater talking to each other, but they're using lines from famous movies.
0: Yeah, it's the experience of going to the theater, getting popcorn, sitting in your seat, telling someone to shut up, but it's all done with movie lines. Although the one celebrity they do have is Danny Trejo. It wasn't
1: great, but I think that if Regal wants to redeem itself... They need to do a parody of the Nicole Kidman AMC commercial with Kate McKinnon in the same exact outfit and play that before their movies. Or if they don't want to do that, they could just like make it a Super Bowl commercial or something. Because I think that people would eat that shit up.
0: One, I love that you think the corporation Regal has that kind of sense of humor. And two, that a corporate theater chain has the money for a Super Bowl ad these days.
1: I think they have the money. If they have the money to hire Nicole Kidman, they can get Kate McKinnon. That's all I'm saying. That's a fact.
0: Also, I've noticed in recent theater experiences, they've been keeping the lights on when the trailers play. How do you feel about that? I hate it. I know. I really hate it. Especially because we were seeing Nope. So all the trailers we got were horror films. Yeah, I don't want to see that with like lights in my face.
1: No, fuck that. Everyone talking. The lights going off is the signal that everyone needs to shut the fuck up.
0: How annoying was it that I was being a full IMDb throughout the trailers? And like, I realized halfway through, I was like, I have to stop commenting,
1: (laughs) but I couldn't help myself. You know what? It's good to be (laughs) self-aware.
0: It's a nice way of being like, yeah, that was really fucking annoying, Lauren.
1: No, I appreciate the facts, you know, the facts that you're hurling at me.
0: I'm like I'm like that's the guy that was in it. That's the guy I have a crush on cuz he looks like a hot Steve Buscemi. Yeah. <laughs> that's the younger brother of Alexander Skarsgård.
1: I don't really remember any of the trailers that we saw except for that movie directed by Olivia Wilde that looks like a slim Aaron's photo if it was a horror
0: movie. Well, how could you forget the trailer that gave everything away? It's a film called The Invitation. And it was the one where it was like, girl with no family takes a DNA test, finds out she has a rich family in England. Oh, I'm
1: going to watch that. They host
0: a spooky dinner party. She meets a handsome stranger with sinister intentions. It's like, great, I'm in. And then the trailer keeps going. And I have noticed that trailers are doing this thing where they clearly show the like last third act climax. Yeah, yeah. And it became very clear in this trailer that they're vampires too. Yeah, I agree.
1: Like if Thelma and Louise was made today, they, you'd <laughs> see them go off the cliff in the trailer. You straight up would.
0: The nice thing about filmmakers like Jordan Peele is they know that that's the current climate of the film going experience and use the power and the clout they have to give us trailers that don't tell us anything about the film.
1: Oh, the trailer for Nope was incredible. And Nope was incredible.
0: I mean, it's, I loved it. What did you think? Hi guys, it's Lauren from the future popping in to tell you that this is where we start talking about Nope in earnest. If you haven't seen the film and don't want to be spoiled in any way, shape or form, go to about the 41 minute, 30 second mark. I like that it exists. I think you- you You're on the fence. It's tough. Obviously I've been struggling with my feelings about Nope. You have- (laughs) Have you? (laughs) (laughs)
1: i'm imagining lauren like crying into her pillow at night like i just don't like nope that much what does that say about me as a person
0: i will say and i don't think this is exactly a spoiler because truly if you were like what's nope about i don't know if i could explain it but you have to go in this is jordan peele reflecting the trauma of those who choose to work in the entertainment industry but like told through an alien invasion horror film yeah which like but sort of but not really
1: Well, there's so many interpretations that you could, like there's so many macro themes, right, that you could get out of this. You could look at it like this is a movie about what happens when humans try to tame animals or you could look at it like this is what happens when people are obsessed with, Capturing everything on their phones and looking at all these horrible things all of the time and digesting things constantly and people profiting off of shit like that. Or making you know? a
0: quick buck through spectacle.
1: Yeah, I think what he does is so interesting because obviously this movie, all of his movies are rooted in these like very warm and cozy and familiar horror tropes, right? Or movie tropes. But this one in particular, he makes some choices that are just so fucking weird. It's a
0: weird movie. That the
1: weirdness and the things that he chooses to focus on are really fascinating to me. Whether it was like the, uh, well, the chimp attack for one thing.
0: It's very clear, like us, that Jordan Peele got high (laughs) one day during the pandemic and was watching the Oprah interview with the woman who got her face ripped off by the chimpanzee. (sighs) that's not even really a spoiler because that's just sort of a thread that is within the film
1: yeah and if you haven't seen that I'm not saying that you should watch it because it will scar you for life oh you'll never be the person you were before you see this Oprah no. clip no no If you're going to watch it, at least after you watch that, watch the Meredith Vieira clip where she gets her face transplant. What's happening with that woman? Today, I have no idea. I don't know if I hope she was invited to the premiere (laughs) of Nope or I hope that she was not because it is kind of a fucked up thing to mine for entertainment.
0: Look, male filmmakers of a certain age cannot help but make their own version of a Spielberg film. It's true. But it was nice to have one with references that we fuck with, like Oprah and the Fry Store, <laughs> RIP.
1: Well, also like the references to like Edward Moybridge, which I haven't thought about since college, obviously. But I think that the specific things that he references are just so weird. Also, I love how the UFO, the alien, whatever, basically is an Iris Van Herpen dress.
0: <laughs> so specific
1: I've, it's true
0: what i thought was interesting about this film vis-a-vis it being an alien horror film is he's not interested in many things that other alien films are interested in like it's not about decoding the language there's no pondering <laughs> like contact yeah arrival yeah there's, yeah there's no pondering what it wants what the
1: intentions are yeah well because their first instinct is just to exploit it or to profit off of it which is interesting because it's usually like how to escape from it how to get away from it
0: or how to go towards it thinking they're friendly people this is certainly a film where in this world independence day exists yeah they're like fuck it we don't (laughs) we're not gonna deify this thing i will say the experience of being abducted is the most horrifying thing in the film. Oh, yeah, for sure. I could have gone with for more of that, but... That's true, but the less you see
1: makes it scarier. And that's that's why I think the chimp attack portion was so scary, which is a callback to the original 911 call from the Oprah... Situation. I forget what that woman's name was, but the fact that you don't see anything and you just hear like the animal and the screams is so much more
0: fucking terrifying than
1: anything they could have shown us. It's what you don't see and it's the
0: anticipatory dread of like, is he going to show that? Totally. But also the
1: specificity of the experience of the child actor which is witnessing this, right? The fact that he's just looking at that shoe that's just like sitting, pointing towards the sky for no apparent reason. It's such a creepy and cool detail.
0: An analysis I saw about that is... That is how Steven Yun's character survived is because he was focusing on the shoe that was standing up, which he keeps as a prop as an older person. Right. Because he didn't look directly in the chimp's oh, eyes. That's, that's why definitely he wasn't attacked. Why, yeah. That's yeah.
1: definitely why he wasn't attacked.
0: All right. If we're getting into like slight nitpicky things, it's not even a nitpick. I just have a question about if the alien cannot get you. Right. There's a section where Kiki Palmer and the Fries guy who is... Kiki Palmer is amazing in this, by the way. Everyone's amazing. Kiki Palmer's amazing. The guy that plays the Fries guy is incredible. Yeah, I love him. Michael Wincott from The Doors film, a character actor who was in The Doors and The Crow, who I've not seen in films in like a decade, as the cinematographer looking for the perfect shot. Love him. Yeah, love. But if they know that they won't be abducted if they just stay in the house... Just stay in the house. And also in the end section, Daniel Kalua figures out that if he doesn't look at it, he won't get abducted. And if you don't move, it's kind of like Predator rules, the film Predator, where it's like, if you don't move, it won't suck you up. I haven't seen Predator. That's what it is. I've seen To Catch a Predator. (laughs) And then Kiki Palmer gets on a bike and it's like, but you know if the aliens are close, they shut down all of the energy and technology so you won't be able to get off on the bike.
1: Lauren, it's not cinematic to hide in the house until the alien goes away.
0: It's not. I did like the Bobo TMZ reporter who was like, fuck you, I'm going to get the shots. (laughs) This is not a spoiler, but do you think Chris Kattan is delighted to be (laughs) in the cultural lexicon again?
1: That was incredible. (laughs) That was incredible. It was really amazing how... Not only did he capture like the look and feel of a 90s family sitcom in a way that was really charming and fun, but like the pitch perfect casting of which SNL cast members would play the people was brilliant.
0: I think there's no choice but for Anna Gasteyer and Chris Kattan to come together and shoot the fictional version of this SNL sketch.
1: I think Chris Kattan has played a monkey before.
0: Mr. Peppers. (laughs) My concern coming off of get out, us, and now, nope, is...
1: Wait, you have a concern coming
0: off of this incredible body of work? You're actually psychotic, but continue. Well, you're going to find this take super psychotic given the filmmaker I'm about to reference, but I just feel like for any filmmaker who does these genre-defying, twisty films that the pressure and the expectation will consume him and he might go, dare I say, Shyamalan.
1: Okay, well, he's great, so I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I'm
0: just saying, I hope that Jordan Peele doesn't make A Lady in the Water. Even if he does,
1: sometimes you need to, and everyone hated the village, and I loved it, so fuck everyone.
0: Ooh, which, by the way, that is my theory about Don't Worry, Baby. Or, uh, yeah, Don't Worry, Darling. The Olivia Wilde, Florence Pugh film is... Because it has this, like, atomic age 1950s thing. My theory is that it's, like, the village. It actually... It's contemporary times. This is just... Oh, I bet it
1: is. You're right. Yeah, I'm sure.
0: Sorry if I spoiled that for you guys. But that's just my theory. I don't know what it is.
1: I think it's really cool what he's doing because... He made the framework with Get Out, right? Like, he just could be making contemporary versions of every kind of horror movie that exists. But with us, and especially with Nope, it's like he's stepping outside of that. He's doing, like, whatever the fuck he wants. He's bringing this, like, very bizarre pastiche of, like, references and visual stuff to it. And it's cool. I fuck with it. And I applaud him for doing something that is not formulaic in the way that we would expect. Oh no,
0: please go see Nope. Because (sighs) if you don't, it will signal to studio executives that what we want is the gray man and we do not want the gray man, okay?
1: I don't know what that is, but...
0: It is the latest in Netflix continuing to make these $200 million films that are utterly forgettable. And they're with the biggest stars in the world. Like, there was Red Notice with Ryan Reynolds and The Rock. This has Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans. I guess you always have to have a Ryan in these films.
1: So it's like straight guy stuff. But see, just make movies like Shawshank, because they want that too And then like the women that have to watch those like won't want to kill themselves.
0: But this is what I'm saying. Why does it have to be $200 million? I'm I'm not saying don't make expensive, dumb action films. I love dumb, expensive action films. But why can't you make them for $100 million, then take that extra $100 million and make three to five medium budget films that are genres that studios don't make anymore, like Shawshank, like a, oh my God, could you imagine a cool character-driven thriller or a rom-com or an erotic thriller? <laughs> That would be incredible.
1: There are so many slept on genres right now, and it only takes one person like a Jordan Peele to make everyone give a shit again, which is insane because every genre is formulaic and all of them were popular at some point throughout history. I feel like we haven't mentioned the Western aspects of Nope enough, but it was more like aesthetic, I guess, than anything.
0: But this is what is astonishing. Going from watching Nope to watching The Gray Man is they're visually uninteresting. It is, and I know this is an overused phrase. It's as if they fed an AI like a hundred hours of the last ten years of action films, and were like, make a movie.
1: Well, that's kind of what they did right now that Netflix and all these streamers have access to these analytics that are so specific that go beyond what any box office data would have shown them before.
0: But it's not working because Netflix has lost almost a million subscribers just in the last quarter.
1: Well, it's not working because not everything should be focus grouped and based on statistics or modeled after things that have been like successful very recently. You just need to find one talented person with a good idea.
0: You need someone who is a cultural curator. And that is what Jordan Peele is. I'm sorry. Most people don't have taste. That's what's joyous about iconoclast filmmakers,
1: yeah, they have taste. It's true. Taste is in short supply. Also, wind dancers. When do we not want to see one of those? They're fabulous.
0: Oh, the 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 people <laughs> that Lauren's the pantomime
1: and the uh, the wind dancer. I believe that's what they're called.
0: I don't know what they're called, but I know what you're talking about. At uh, car dealerships, when they have the yeah.
1: oh air dancers. They're called no wind dance. Oh no, that's a movie about a horse. Okay, they're called air dancers. <laughs> We should make a movie okay. about those rats. Oh, the
0: I've never seen it in Los Angeles, but certainly in New York. In New York, those rats are everywhere. The strike rats. Yes. When workers strike, they often get this blown up rat. That's fabulous looking, by the way. And gigantic. It's like seven feet tall. To- seven
1: feet? It's like 20 feet tall. Like a good strike rat is tall. <laughs> Because it has to contend with those giant buildings in midtown where they're always striking.
0: Right. Which is, I guess, to denote that this building slash company is fucked because we are protesting them because we have the strike rat.
1: So what is I wonder how much they are. Maybe you could just get one to just hang out in your front
0: yard like permanently just for the look. Okay, so it has its own Wikipedia entry. It's called the Inflatable Rat or (laughs) Union Rats. I love a rat that's
1: pro union. Oh, so the rat was invented in 1989 in Chicago. Okay, th- this is what we need. A movie about whoever invented the inflatable rat. That's our biopic. And how the rat just caught on.
0: And the lives. And it's shown through the different union strikes that the inflatable <laughs> rat has represented. That's our, wow. <laughs>
1: It's like very Norma Ray vibes, but with like giant inflatable rats.
0: And we also tell the history of New York gentrifying throughout the 90s and 2000s. <sighs> and its relationship with the halal meat truck. <laughs> it's like Wally. We give, we give a love story to these inanimate objects.
2: Wait,
1: is it like the strike rat that falls in love with the air dancer? <laughs> or is it like Pixar vibes? <laughs>
0: You know, just like a a fucked up Pixar film. (laughs) I mean, Pixar films are kind of fucked up, but...
1: Yeah, have you seen uh, Up? Like, I've never cried so hard in my life. Um, Enough about Nope.
0: Anyway, please go see it. Just so Netflix will stop making AI-driven $200 million films (laughs) and allow us to make our (laughs) moving story (laughs) about New York gentrification and the union rat. (laughs) You know, our manager's gonna call us and be like, that's actually not the worst idea.
1: I think that might be the worst idea we've ever had. Um, oh my God, can you imagine at like the premiere, there's just like rats on Hollywood Boulevard? We could just, that's, that's the marketing throughout the country. It's just the rats.
0: And we get nominated for a Golden Globe, and at our table is an inflatable rat. <laughs> okay. We got to stop. No one cares about
1: these rats. Is this anywhere but New York? Like, I don't think anyone knows what we're talking about unless you're a New Yorker.
0: At least one listener is going to (laughs) be listening to this in New York and pass by an inflatable rat. I guarantee you we're going to get a call or a DM saying that. Anyway, on to Kardashians. Kardash, aholics anonymous. This is a case for the
1: FBI. Not much news.
0: This has only happened once or twice in how many ever episodes we've done of this show and we have no Kardashian news, but we do have yay news.
1: Okay, well, what's the yay news?
0: Another thing that we missed while you were in Europe was the long-awaited launch of Yeezy Gap engineered by Balenciaga, which debuted at the Times Square store. And I gotta say, it's it's giving industrial thrift store. (laughs) It's cool
1: that they're bringing it to physical Gap stores. But are they or was that like a pop-up? It was kind of a pop-up. See, fuck that. If it's not in the Gap store in the mall in Idaho, it didn't happen.
0: Especially because they hope that this partnership, which is a 10-year deal, would be generating a billion dollars in annual sales.
1: You mean Gap's partnership with Kanye, not Balenciaga.
0: Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah who according to this Vanessa Friedman article in the New York Times, basically had to step in at the beginning of 2021 to help Kanye actually put a collection together. Because in the first 18 months of this gap deal, Kanye only produced two items.
1: Well, they were cute items, to be fair. I would have bought a hoodie if it wasn't so annoying to buy.
0: Annoying to buy because of the price point or how to get it? How to get it. I don't know. I also don't think a $160 shirts and $240 hoodies is the answer, especially because... Well, the Balenciaga hoodies were much more
1: expensive than just the plain hoodies, which is what I would want. Like, what? I would have bought one of those plain hoodies but you can't buy them you can only get the Balenciaga ones with the Dove online and I don't want to walk around like that It's embarrassing for me. Like, I can't pull it off.
0: One of the points that Kanye said when he launched this was to create modern elevated basics for men, women, and kids at accessible price points. And the output has not been an accessible price point.
1: Which is so dumb. I believe I've said something to this effect on the podcast before, but I continue to think that with this partnership with Gap, he really has the opportunity to... Change the way that average Americans dress, which is incredible. Right. And he should take that. But you can't dress the average American in drops (laughs) and with $200 hoodies.
0: And the other thing that this article revealed was that Mickey Drexler, who was the CEO of Gap from 83 to 2002, before he went to J. Crew and revolutionized it with Jenna Lyons, he actually advised Kanye against the deal. He went on the record to say, it doesn't make any sense, in my opinion. I think it makes sense
1: conceptually. Maybe it doesn't make sense for Kanye business wise, but I think the problem is always that. He is a very temperamental person. Every account that I have heard of someone that has worked for him has been nothing less than like, it was the most chaotic, fucked up thing I've ever experienced. So someone like that, while a genius, maybe it's not going to yield the most fruitful business partnership for The Gap.
0: And certainly for The Gap, who is desperate for reinvention, their business aesthetically, creatively, financially is not going to be revived by doing drops, sporadic drops of clothing. No,
1: and I think people are getting fucking sick of it. I think there's this idea that like drop culture was like this like disruptive thing that could get people to buy things. And now we're going to enter into the backlash of that, which is like, I just want to be able to go somewhere and know that I can buy a white t-shirt that is in my size. And I don't feel that there are a lot of places that you can do that. And the gap, I would fully go to the gap for that shit. But their normal designs, their
0: normal clothes are not something that, it's not classic. I love that the Gap has gone in every fucking direction except just making the perfect pair of blue jeans and white shirt. Like it's worked for Levi's, it worked for Ralph Lauren, they have a product or they have an aesthetic that they've never deviated from. And guess what? The customer remains. I mean, some leave, others will come and discover the brand. And sometimes you're lucky and you get caught up in a cultural zeitgeist But the fact that Gap will not just make good jeans and a white shirt is astounding. Yeah, it's so
1: crazy. Like, I would suck dick to shop at Gap again. Yeah. Like, I'm here for it. Like, my fond memories of the clothes that you could buy there growing up, their incredible advertising through the 90s and, like, the impact that that had on everything. It's just... It's astounding to me.
0: If they went back to how they designed in the 90s, do what fucking J. Crew has been doing and like look at old catalogs and just do a 1995 redesign or edition or whatever. And you know what commercial they should do? They should get the Gap Girls back. Pay Adam Sandler and David Spade a shit ton of money to do a modern day Gap Girls ad.
1: Yeah, Gap ads used to be so good that people actually learned how to swing dance. <laughs>
0: Well, that was a that was a cultural moment in the mid to late 90s between s- swingers, cherry poppin' daddies, a band that would not exist today, and yeah, the Gap Swing ad. <laughs> that was the zenith. Well, and of yeah, it was like
1: Mighty Mighty Boston's Brian Seltzer Orchestra. Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. <sighs> That's one early aughts aesthetic that I really haven't seen mined by Gen Z yet, was that
0: rockabilly rockabilly
1: thing which was actually pretty cool well it was cool but it was when it overlapped with ska culture right like you could put early Gwen Stefani into that category that's
0: what I was telling tat the other night I think that's her her she should look like the actor that played sue in swingers (laughs) I love that
1: remember how those ads just made us want to
0: wear khakis Well, I have a whole chaotic relationship with khakis because I went to a school with a uniform, which was a white polo shirt and khakis, and I can never wear khakis again.
1: So you were in like a slutty, like Catholic school girl uniform? That sucks.
0: I wish, I know. The first real significant output of this Yeezy Gap collaboration, engineered by Balenciaga, who will no longer be- (laughs) In parentheses,
1: Taylor's version.
0: (laughs) Which- That Vanessa Friedman article that came out last week broke the news that Demna was like, oh yeah, I'm no longer a part of this. And then just today, Kanye was like, actually, this is just the start of our beautiful friendship. (laughs) But really, Demna was interviewed and it understandably makes the point of like, I'm very busy, but my friend who I have this creative relationship with needed me. Yeah, And like the the subtext I got was like, this collection was never going to come out if I didn't step in. Yeah, for sure. But it brings to mind. I
1: mean, he literally said, I basically had to do this because if it wasn't me doing it, then Ye wouldn't be comfortable with releasing anything. So I had to do it.
0: I'm sure the Gap people are fucking kicking themselves for pushing aside and basically forgetting about that Telfar deal that they had.
1: Yeah, it's so stupid. That would have been a much better investment on their part, I think, in a long-term capacity because he would have actually met his deadlines.
0: He would have met his deadlines and he would have brought a younger audience to the gap and it would have been an accessible price point.
1: And the ethos of his brand has always been playing with and catering to a mass market, which is cool. So yeah, well, we'll see. Maybe Kanye will get his shit together, but I continue to not know where to shop for a white t-shirt or a pair of jeans or a simple hoodie
0: at a store in the mall. You know, the last 15 years of direct-to-consumer brands really have been gap replacers. Everlane, American Apparel, which has now become Los Angeles Apparel. (laughs) I got to tell you, it is stunning to see younger Gen Z fully adopt the indie sleaze aesthetic. And really put aside, like, they have fallen in love with, which is horrifying for me to see, the, you know, American Apparel silver bodysuit that just really had a (laughs) chokehold on all of us in our early 20s in 2009.
1: Yeah, like, we go to the Peaches
0: show and, like, literally everyone would be wearing those.
1: But it's, like, somehow... See, this is why we need the bitter old bitch on board (laughs) stickers on our car, Lauren, because we're already complaining about people wearing, like... This silver American Apparel bodysuits. But out. am I
0: gonna have to make a TikTok explaining like the history of Dove Charney and Terry Richardson just to like be like, I know you guys love this aesthetic, but just so you know, this is why it ended. No, just let people enjoy things. Gen Z doesn't let us enjoy fucking
1: shit. <laughs> That's true.
0: Gen Z is <laughs> yeah, not on yeah, their yeah. foot off of our necks. <laughs> I'm tired of being almost canceled by these youngins. I'm gonna fucking cancel them. <laughs> Wow, I really do. Actually, you know what? I do need the bitter bitch on board.
1: (laughs) Bitter old bitch on board. Oh, yeah,
0: bitter old bitch.
1: (laughs) All right, guys. Thanks for listening, as always. We love you. Love you. Um, I'm going to go slip into my uh, American Apparel silver LeMay bodysuit now.
0: Yeah, if there's any younger listeners, just never throw anything away. You could be selling it for hundreds of dollars (laughs) on Grailed. We're such idiots.
1: All right. Bye, guys.
0: Bye. See you next week.